Hello, baby. You're listening to My Perfect Playlist with me, Mark Nelson. Hello, thank you for joining me on My Perfect Podcast. This is episode five. So cheers, cheers for coming along to listen again. If you have been listening, you might have noticed we've been away for a fortnight. Uh, the reason for that was that I had one all set to go that I, I did with this Irish stand-up Ryan Cullen. Brilliant, brilliant stand-up. Uh, it was a cracking, cracking episode. But when I came to edit it, it was buggered. It had been corrupted. The file had been corrupted. Basically, it sounded like me and... Uh, you couldn't pick up every second word that me or Ryan said. It sounded pish. So... I don't know why it happened. I have genuinely no idea. I don't know whether my vaccine has caused it with whatever chip that Bill Gates may or may not have put in me. However, eh, I, th- I sent it away to experts. They couldn't fix it. So I thought rather than cobbling it together and it sounding shite, I would go back and re-record with Ryan. So that has taken a fortnight for that all to come back from various people that I sent it to and they couldn't fix it. So that's why we've been away. So huge, huge, huge apologies for that. However, to make up for it, I thought I would come back with an absolute banger. Uh, My guest today for episode five is Daniel Sloss, the Scottish stand-up Daniel Sloss, probably the biggest Scottish stand-up that has come out of this country for years and years and years. He is worldwide famous. He has done world sellout tours. He's played pretty much every single country that you could think of. He has Netflix specials. He has an HBO special. He has a Pish taste in music, or so he thought. However, as you'll discover, it is actually a decent, decent taste in music. It's a brilliant, fascinating conversation. The topics we cover, you will be very, very surprised at. Um, It's the first one I've done where I've just kind of let it run. I've not even edited much because it is that good. It's incredibly funny. So please enjoy this episode with Daniel Sloss. Daniel Sloss! Thank you very much for joining me on uh, my perfect playlist. How are you? I'm very well, buddy. How are you? I'm I'm really I'm really good. I'm I'm so glad you decided to do this because you were the one of the people that I was not nervous but reluctant to ask. And then when you, <laughs> when you and and not for the reasons that you think they are, um, uh-huh. because when, the minute you sent over through your your choices, you were almost apologising for them immediately. Yes. Yeah. I have a I have a real real complex about my uh, music taste because it's fucking appalling and I know it's fucking appalling because I have had you and all of my friends who are into music tell me consistently over the years that they'll never listen to my fucking playlists. <laughs> Was it Colin describes my music sense as uh, my music taste is just the soundtrack from Thirteen Reasons Why. <laughs> 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 See, I'm, 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 I'm going to make sure I stop that now because this is part of the reason. Because someone else did it to me yesterday, where they were apologising for what they've sent over. And I, I want one of the reasons I want to do this is because I've, I want to make make it out that there is, there isn't actually a shit taste in music. Because, like, when when you said, "Oh God, I'm sending these over," I expected just a torrent of shit, and then. <laughs> It's I mean, like there's there's it's a good playlist like there's some absolute belters on it. 
Yes, and there also is definitely in some fucking shite ones that I will spend my time justifying and giving <laughs> reasons for. <laughs> but it's um, man, I don't like. I've 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 always had just such a weird relationship with music, which is I like songs and I'll. My complex relationship, I, I like listening to music and the songs that I really like, but I've just never really gone out of my way to to listen to it. And my friends have always been so much more into music than I've been. Like, when we were in high school, my mate Ali would spend every single penny he ever earned on fucking albums and then just wouldn't have enough money to drink. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, I was like, what are you doing? Like, what is, what is this thing that's taking away from the fun that we're meant to have? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Together and then the first concert I ever went to live was I went to see Nickelback with my mum when I was no. yeah when I was about thirteen or fourteen years old and um, was man you know what they were they were good and I remember at the end they hadn't played this is how you remind me and I was so yeah. confused because it was th- their only good song yeah. And, <laughs> And they hadn't played it by the end, and I was like, "What the? What is? Why are they not like? That's the one song that we came for." And they left the stage, and I was very, very upset. And then, believe it or not, Mark, they came back on and played it. They didn't. They did. Jesus <laughs> I, Christ! Thank God. Otherwise, know. who knows? Know. Otherwise, otherwise, it would have been a waste of money. I know. Uh, I, uh, I, I've, I've got a kind of love hate relationship with the, the whole encore type thing. Because yeah. I quite I quite like bands that don't do it and just go look we're gonna do it anyway. What's Aye. what is the pretense of us leaving the stage, you clapping, us coming on back after five minutes? But then I also hate bands <laughs> that will play the song that clearly everyone wants to hear very early on because you're I going. I kind of, I kind of respect it. Just the, I can't. I think it was Sinead O'Connor once at Bestival, right? Just like literally walked on stage, and she was like, "Look, I know why you're all here. I'll <laughs> sing that. <laughs> like, let's be real. We all know the song, <laughs> and everyone turns up, and she sings it, and we all sing along. And then she's like, "Right, there you go." And literally half the audience left. But I do think that was like better for her. Because, you know, here's the big song that you all want me to sing, and I'll sing it because it's fine. And then all the people that are just waiting for that and are not going to enjoy the rest of my songs, you can now leave, and I can play to the people that are actually, for whatever reason, Sinead O'Connor fans. See, that is is good. Um, The best I've ever seen was uh, when Kenny Rogers did this Sunday afternoon slot at Glastonbury. He, uh, He started off with, like, The Gambler and then Islands in the Stream. And then did a couple of other songs and then just went, well, we just do those ones again and just did them again. And the audience were like that. <laughs> Fucking yes. Just do these just for an hour. This is fine. That's brilliant. That's the way the singing kettle does it. The same three songs over and over <laughs> again with enough repetition that you all know the words. That's key to success, baby. And they've been going for years, Mark. And, and, well, that's true. I've always said uh, the two artists with the greatest respect in the music industry are Kenny Rogers and the singing kettle. <laughs> hey, it's all about longevity, baby. And you tell me two people with more longevity than those two. <laughs> right, let's get to your playlist. Uh, your opening track, the one that uh, is going to set the tone, is going to kick it all off. What have you picked? I've picked Only One King by Tommy Prophet. Because there's only one king. Yeah. 
you know Spotify just puts on Spotify radio for just a song that you've listened to and it plays something similar? Yeah. I can't remember what the similar song I'd been listening to was, but then this one came on and it was just before I embarked on my uh, uh, X tour and I was looking for a new walk-on track and then just the chorus to, to this song was... There's only one king. There's only one crown. Yeah. Uh, there's only one king, and it's looking like me. And I was like, oh, I mean, that's that's what I walk out to. That's, yeah. There's it, no way that's not the intro- opening song for my show. It's proper. It's proper UFC type walk-in oh, music. This song, like. Yeah. It's uh. It's just anything. It's got a really good bit where the 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 music goes out, and then you think it's over. It's a, it's a it's an encore mid song. And it's like for a tour that drove me absolutely insane. It was <laughs> so so key <laughs> into like just like inducing a Pavlovian response into my system. Now for me, only one king by Toby Prophet. Whenever I hear it, it puts me in a pumped up but reluctant mood. <laughs> <laughs> It's like I imagine it's like you know it's a ma- that that song puts me in the feeling of uh, a a couple that have been ma- married for forty years and she knows that the, the, either he or she knows that this is the day that they're gonna have to put out like it's an anniversary <laughs> like come on we'll do it for the like the kids are there we've got two years before they're off at university and we'll we'll do this and we'll get through it we love each other remember our first dance. <laughs> Remember our first dance, Only One King by Tommy Prophet. <laughs> <laughs> Which is odd. Honestly, I can't believe you'd let me get that as our wedding song. One, it's impossible to dance to, but also a song that leaves no mention of you. No, yeah. there's only one king and there's only one queen. Yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. It's just a song talking about how brilliant I am and how lucky you are to have me. When uh, when you sent it over, I did, I did immediately think that it described you kind of perfectly and um because it's very interesting right and we've kind of chatted about this before is that and i think it's probably the reason why you've had so much success in america is you approach stand-up and your stand-up persona on stage completely differently to most other british comedians because in britain and in scotland especially there's this reluctance to admit that you're good at anything and mm. there's that kind of I don't want to appear too arrogant. And then there's that if you do appear it, you've always got people going, "Who the fuck do they think they are?" Whereas American comedians, like even American comedians, when you see them over here, like I've seen like Patrice O'Neill and stuff like that, and they'll just go out and say, "This is how good I am." Like Dave Chappelle does it all the time. He, yeah. he, he constantly references how good he is, and Americans fucking lap up, and British people lap up when Americans do it. But if British comics do it, then they're just seen as arseholes. Aye. But you've approached it differently because you do go on stage with, not an arrogant, arrogance is the wrong word, but a complete self-belief and a complete self-trust in your own ability. I I also do like to play up to the, like part of my persona on stage especially is, and in in general, is the asshole bit, which is, Mm -hmm. you know, I am an asshole sometimes. Not Not like an asshole that fucking spits in your tea, fucking slashes your car tires and does horrible things. But I'm an asshole who will, you know, <laughs> say the worst thing in a situation because he finds it funny. Yeah. Um, and also, yeah, man I, man, I totally agree, but I was sick for so many, many years of, like, the certain parts of the industry, like, 
not singing my praises when like I knew I was doing well mm -hmm. and you know I mean you and me could talk about this till the ends of the earth but the difference from going from the Scottish circuit to the English circuit and how there's just that you know you do the Scottish circuit for three or four years and you build your reputation up there and then you go to England and there's just no kudos like mm. you just have to you have to start again when you get to England which is fine I guess because it's you know it's a new circuit um, it's bigger there's the, you know there's different scenes there's the Manchester Liverpool London one mm -hmm. um, but you, you just have to go down and start again and I remember just getting down and, and, and just going I'm better than most of this yeah like and not in a bad way but like I, like I remember doing the open spots there and being like I've done this up there how am I back at the same position I was before um, and and also man it's just it's too it's too much fun to be nervous on stage like I don't I don't understand how you can walk on stage and not feel arrogant like I, I always find this sort of like oh I'm, I'm, I'm nervous stuff to be such a fucking lie yeah like this this idea that any comedian is is like oh i'm 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 beta i'm shy no you're not you're on stage you're yeah everyone in the room is facing you you were backstage you knew what you were gonna do like there's nothing more even even like the biggest fucking bench lifter in the world like the hardest man in the world could be in the same room as you when you're doing stand-up he's not the fucking alpha you are yeah. he's sat facing you his wife is sat facing you everyone is facing you there is nothing other than alpha about this job doesn't matter what gender you are doesn't matter how old you are doesn't matter your sexual orientation if you're a stand-up comedian you are a fucking alpha act like it yeah, yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree, and it's it's something that annoys me. It annoys me the most because it's almost um, try to find the right word. It, 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 it's it's almost uncool and wrong to be that kind of that kind of confident and to be that kind of person. There's such a, a focus in British stand-up with most of them being so awkward and look how kooky I am and I'm terrible yeah. with women and oh I didn't have that many friends and, and you're going just, f just fuck off like <laughs> genuinely fuck off like you're not awkward why are you acting like you are like it's not right. I've, being... I've, se I've seen you backstage and I've seen you leer on women like this is the front yeah like you're going on stage and acted like a wounded deer. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Just uh, for the listeners, uh, Daniel wasn't referring to me there when he said, uh, "I've seen you backstage leering on women." <laughs> oh, no, sorry, that yes, was, yeah. That was a general kind. Yes, of... <laughs> we were talking about the royal you. Yeah. <laughs> that was certainly the English comics we were talking about there. <laughs> I've, uh, I've had it. I know exactly what you mean. Going from Scotland to England and being completely dismissed. Uh, when by by acts that are down there, and uh, then you go on and do better than them, and right. I I I I don't you you use it as I I know I'm better than you. I use spite as my fuel, and I go even if I'm not better than you, I will be tonight just to show you. <laughs> yes. And then and then I do better than them, and then they'll come up and chat to you afterwards, and that's when I get really angry and I'm like, oh, you want to talk to me now, do you, cunt? Oh, I, is that, now, that, now that I've, I've somehow proven myself to you in this fucking gladiatorial arena of egos, like... Yeah. 
Yeah, actually, I, I am the same as you up until the last bit. It was the second they're nice to me is I'm such just such a needy, needy cunt that I'm like, oh, good, I guess that means we're friends now. I passed the test. <laughs> now, that I've, now that I've proven that I'm an infinitely better stand-up than you are, I'm glad you now treat me as an equal, you fucking cunt. <laughs> Right, next song. Uh, a song that reminds you of your childhood. Uh, oh, well, it's got to be Hey Baby by DJ Otzi. Hey, hey, baby. Uh, I want to know if you'll be my girl. Hey, hey, baby. I, I'm going to say I first heard this song in about 1998, 1999. Mm. And it was... Just at every, you know, you know, like Scottish under ten birthday parties. Yeah. Every single one takes place at like it used to be a club hall or a scout hall. It's a fucking town hall. They've got all the chairs out the back. There's like four games of uh, musical statues and musical chairs. The parents are all sat around the round the rooms while everyone just fucking kicks a balloon about and some parent plays i mean back in the day it would have been that now that's what i called 98 well <laughs> fucking dj say hey baby was just it was the first time i knew what a banger was and i was eight years old <laughs> like I, even though i was only eight years old i think it was the first time i felt that part of my brain that longed for ecstasy being like hold on there's something missing here like this is it we're close to it yeah. this song is awakening something and it's and, just that easy chorus, man. Yeah, luckily, it being a Scottish 10-year-old's birthday party, ecstasy was very readily available <laughs> as well. It was, yeah. <laughs> Normally, they put it in the uh, in the takeaway bag. Like, you know, just... <laughs> like, they put it in there with a the slice of cake and stuff. Yeah. But if you ask your mum nicely, normally she'll split it with you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, I'm just having this bizarre thought that I could do that at my like my son's birthday. Like you know how you know how they, they, they if you if you handed out M and M's or something, right, Aye. or Smarties or something, and played a Russian roulette with all the kids there, where there was like <laughs> ten ten Smarties and then another sweet, and one of them was an Eki, and then you just <laughs> you've got kids going wild with sugar anyway but then right. one kid going really extra wild well, like <laughs> yeah yeah like, and just his mum and dad so confused yeah. just, i think he's having a lot more fun than the other kids i just don't get it i think normally we don't let them have processed sugars and i guess this is why <laughs> darren his dinner is after like dinner place <laughs> a kid just with his arm around the teacher saying how much he's always loved them <laughs> <laughs> Look, that time I called you mum, I actually meant to call you mum because you've always actually been like a mother to me. This one, I t- uh, also everything we've just described there is every single boomer's fucking fears. That's the meme that goes around every single Halloween of mm. be careful because somebody out there, they're, they're, I, I, my, my son and daughter came home for ticker, trick or treating and there was two vials of heroin in there. You're like, <laughs> you're like nobody is yeah. giving away drugs, woman. Exactly, exactly. What world do you live in where people in the council estates in Glasgow are just slinging bags of gear away yeah. like it's it's fucking Willy Wonka at Christmas. <laughs> there's very, there's very few junkies that are willing to give up a hit for a prank. 
You know, like, I, like <laughs> addicted to one of the most addictive substances in the, in the entire world, and you're like, you know what? Let's let's just share this for the banter, lads. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I need the drugs, but I also need the shenanigans. So <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm really itching for. <laughs> uh, DJ Otzi, I was looking him up, and uh, he must be dead. No, he's still alive. He's not. I mean, he's not done much since. Um, he's an Austrian. He's an Austrian artist, uh, and surprisingly, the worst ever Austrian artist, considering <laughs> who he's had to go up against. Uh, and do you know this is a cover? This is a cover version. This song is it. It's, yeah, it's like it's like a dance remix of it. It's a it's a it's a, a kind of fifty song by a guy called Bruce Chanel. It's in it's in Dirty Dancing. Have you ever seen the film Dirty Dancing? I I've watched Cara watch it. Mm. It's a great film. I'm sure it is. I'm I'm sure it is. But like my first encounter of uh, Swayze was uh, is it Roundhouse? Roadhouse. Roadhouse. That's the one where he rips out the guy's so. throat. <laughs> I I remember being I remember being about uh, ten or eleven, and and that movie being on somewhere. And my dad I was like, "That you want you want to watch this bit?" And I was like, "God, this guy is the coolest bloke." In the, he's just a doorman that just. Mm-hmm kicks people's heads in and rips their throats out like that yeah. is like I didn't even know that was a job that's class and I remember the next time I walked in like they were watching uh, Dirty Dancing and it was the same guy and I think because I was 10 years old I just was like oh this will just be the sequel and god what a crap sequel it was <laughs> <laughs> man he'd given he'd given up his bouncing days he was being really nice to women like it was just <laughs> it, like you know what he he did seem happier, but it just wasn't the story arc I was after, to be honest. Right, move on a couple of years uh, to a uh, a song that reminds you of being a teenager. I'm not nervous about this answer, but I do feel like it's such a stock answer. But this is genuinely my teenage years, and it's "Teenage Dirtbag" by Wheatus. And that, man, I this is absolutely like this song was. It was in American Pie all the time mm-hmm. uh, because fucking whoever the lead guy in American Pie is, he was in the music video for it. Yeah, two of them, Jason Biggs and Mina Savari, yes. are in the in the music video. Uh, and that was when everyone in Scotland was going through, not or at least in my school, everyone was going through a skater phase, even though nobody could fucking skate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like there's yeah. not. <laughs> Like, like I love Scotland, but there's not like just fucking at least not when I was there. There wasn't just random skate parks you could go to. Yeah. And it's not like there's empty swimming pools in Scotland <laughs> that you can fucking learn to skate in. So you've just got all these Scottish teenagers be like, "We're skaters," and you're like, "Where on the beach?" And yeah. like, what's the like? There's a couple of rails that you can do at the co-op, but then all the co-op staff who are on their lunch break are just gonna call you gay and throw cigarettes at you. <laughs> So, so where are you gonna learn to to skateboard? Oh, it's more just about the the hair and the baggy tracks and the. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Aye, it's just it's just a style choice rather than the actual act of skateboarding. Uh, what were you What were you like as a teenager? Man, so just didn't fit in anywhere. Like I was just so desperate to be 
part of something. So I'd, I'd gone from like East Weems Primary School, which was like a tiny primary school. Like the pop, the pupils number was, I think I'm going to say there were 75 kids at East Weems Primary School in seven years. Or maybe, wow. maybe no, no, no. So that's a lie. I think it's maybe about 15 or 20 in a class. So probably about under just under 140 pupils. And I was the best at football in that school. Uh, from the like primary five, so that's the secret to being popular in high school. Well, in any school in Scotland or the UK, mm-hmm. is if you're the best at football, you're the most popular because uh, it's the only valuable commodity. And then we went to Wade Academy, where there was you know 900 pupils, and I was suddenly not the best at football, and I was like, oh god, what's my identity here? And uh, just because because every because I was the only person from my primary school as well because. Everyone else went to Buckhaven High School, but the week before we were due to go to Buckhaven High School, one of the teachers got thrown out of a window by a pupil. <laughs> <laughs> and and, and, and my, uh, my auntie's a teacher, and she heard about this, and my mum was like, You're, we're not fucking sending you to that school. God. <laughs> like, we're, we're not sending you to a school where the teachers are fucking pussies. Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh, so they sent me to Wade Academy inst- instead, which is 20 miles away. Like, I had to, like, apply outside the fucking catchment area and everything. Um, so I was the only kid from East Weems uh, there. So I didn't know anyone. So for my first week, I just had fucking... Uh, no friends. Because everyone was just in their clique, man. They were just, like, there was the... There was all the kids from the... That, that played football and I didn't have the courage to audition for football and then and then there was all like the artsy kids and then there was all the smart ones and I just didn't know what it was so I just found the nerds because my dad was a nerd yeah. and like I saw some kids fucking talking about I think it was like Warhammer or something and I was like fuck it my dad knows Warhammer that's me and then I sort of got in with them and then and then I did start playing football and so then just because I'd been so unpopular in like my first two years of high school, my third and fourth year, my renaissance, if you will, was I just tried to, I, I would argue that, like, you know how the most popular kid in school isn't the most popular kid in school because all the fucking nerds hate him. Yeah. And all the, the, the actual most popular kid in school is the one that's just friends with everyone, is the least yeah. threatening. The floater. The, that was me, man. I was the fucking floater. Like, nobody's favourite, but nobody's... <laughs> But nobody, nobody wanted to kick my head in. Um, That's very much like me and my family. <laughs> and not even your extended, just the immediate. <laughs> yeah. Just at home, that's the beckon order. <laughs> what age did you start doing stand-up? Uh, I started when I was 16. So 16, I was, Jesus. Yeah. So I just started, um, I'm pretty sure I was in sixth year. Yeah, during the during the fringe, before my sixth year of high school was when I met Frankie Boyle for the first time, and he took me in to you know meet all the you know I got to meet he introduced me to like Glenn Wool and and just a bunch of, and so that was my my summer was just hanging out with like Frankie and then he took me to the stand and, and introduced me to like Tom State and Bridges and and was like this is how you get started in stand up and then. Uh, and then I just had to go back to high school the next year, and I was like, "Well, this is fine." I, well, I'm not shy. I, I, I did enjoy high school, especially my last two years. 
Do right. you think, because this kind of idea that there's like a sliding doors, there's tons of sliding doors moments, yeah. and there's that kind of different timelines, very much an Avengers type thing. Right. Do you think, see if there is another timeline, because it, 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 there must have been a choice where at the end of high school you go, I'm either going to pursue this dream of being a comedian or I'm just going to do what's expected of most kids my age and go to uni and then go on. Yeah. In that other timeline, what do you reckon that Daniel Sloss is up to? Oh, he's an, he's he's a, he's absolutely an incel. <laughs> like, man, I am so so lucky that I found comedy. Uh, man, I would have been a fucking alt right fucking uh, women are sluts. Black Lives Matter is, is a is is a is is it's racist against white people. Like Boris Johnson is doing a great. Ch- that would have been me. Like man, I had some fucking horrible opinions when I was a teenager that my parents to this day like. I remember them just being shocked at like what would come out of my mouth and what. And they're like, "But we're like dead liberal, and we just give you like you know good advice, and we love you, and all this freedom." And I was just really fucking angry at the world, um, and. And I I don't know why, I I still don't know why, but then, like, stand-up just gave me this thing to, like, channel that anger into, to channel all that fucking internal rage that I have and and turn it into something where I am yelling at and about the world. But because it's also comedy and because it's, you know, just, it's like, you just meet everyone. Like, it's, it's, it's very hard to be, like bigoted in comedy because you just meet people from every single walk of life so like all this back when i was i mean when i was a teenager i was definitely homophobic because i was a scottish teenager and gay was an insult and i'd never really met a gay person before and then one of my friends in high school came out to me and then that's when i sort of like learned i was like oh okay okay and then in in comedy you just meet people from all fucking walks of life and and I know this isn't everyone's experience in comedy, but for me, early on, especially on the Scottish scene, was people were really welcoming to me yeah. and were very nice and 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 sort of brought me in and was just so patient with me that I just really sort of you know uh, slowed the fuck down and and then just became a, a lot nicer person because you know I, I finally had a way to express myself and people were fucking being nice to me. But yeah. had man, I would man, I would have been the worst. Like I would have been a fucking, I would have been a Trump supporter, man. I would have been on fucking four chan and eight chan, fucking <laughs> talking about how the government needs to like make women have sex with men because otherwise, how could we expect to get laid? Like, oh, <sighs> a real piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just before we move on, um, in the the song, because I, I really do love this song, Teenage Dirtbag. I I I remember when it came out and I absolutely loved it. There's um, in most of the times it was played because it was a massive hit in America as well. And there's a there's a line in it where uh, they talks about the guy that uh, the girl was going out with, and he used to bring a gun to school. Yeah. And uh, they took that out uh, in the American radio versions because. I think it was released around about Columbine, hmm. and uh, I was when I was reading that, I thought it's just it's the most American thing possible that they'll take the gun out of the song, but they'll <laughs> never think to take it out of the school. Like, n- no, absolutely not. Like, the Second Amendment doesn't protect songs. 
Yeah, no, it just protects my right look, lads. What we're going to do is we're going to change the gun emoji to a water gun emoji. <laughs> and what do you mean they killed 60 more kids? Yeah, no. But I we know. changed the emoji. Mm-hmm. What? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't understand what more we can do. How can we get these people to stop shooting each other? Eh... <laughs> <laughs> uh, Right, we'll do some quick fire ones now. A song that always gets you dancing. Oh, uh, DGAF, Don't Give a Fuck by Mike Amelia uh, and Mo Dunn. I don't give another being in my car and I was like man this song here like this is an absolute banger and then I just put on a bunch of stuff by Mike Amelia and he just played like these really really like three in the morning like fucking bottom jaw hanging out but rhythmic fucking bangers that we just ended up it was you me and Kai that were doing the playlist um just going through all these and that's what me and Kai would then listen to whenever we were working out because I hate exercise. But if you're listening to bangers, it's the only thing that can really get me through it because you're just pumped. Yeah, I, I think that I love this song. I think it's great. And um, what I like about him is he's one of those guys that announces who they are at the start. Like Snoop Dogg does it as well. Yeah, at the start, Yeah, at the start, it just, it just goes... And it goes, Magamelio. And you're like that, yes, of course. Yeah, it's like Timberland or fucking... Jason Derulo ruined it. Jason Derulo really, really fucking ruined it. Everyone else was just coming on and like at the start of like bangers and rap songs and they're like, this is my name and this is my song. When Jason Derulo does it, it's just like he's a fucking Pokemon. He's just saying his <laughs> name. He's just saying his name because he likes the sound of his own fucking voice, and he said, "Jason Derulo, that's not the game, Jason. You've ruined it. <laughs> like we're tagging ourselves because we're cool. We're not just singing our name because we can harmonise with ourselves. You fucking loser. Have you ever have you ever seen the picture? This is a massive diversion. Have you ever seen the picture of Jason Derulo walking out of a pool? No. And he's got oh. these ridiculously tight shorts on, and quite possibly." the biggest cock I have ever seen in my life. Like, Let it is, go. it's so defined, this one. Jason Derulo coming out of pool, oh my, oh my fucking God. See what I mean? It's unbelievable. Oh my, Jesus. Like, nah, he paid for that fucking photo shoot, like, that's not... No, I know, no I, I, it's not, I, it's not a, a candid, taken in the moment kind of thing, but, I... like, if he had to pay to get into that pool then he had to pay for his dick as well because that's a <laughs> at the very least a child's price because that's uh, that is something else man that's the sort that's the sort of cock that you could put a Malteser on the end and flick <laughs> it into your mouth like just <laughs> what, like, the way elephants give themselves peanuts <laughs> <laughs> I actually meant more like a spring loaded lodge but yes that one <laughs> way better just Jason Derulo with his iPad in one hand, a fucking glass of champagne in another, just coming up with his next song, and then just his big massive cock comes up and feeds him the core of an apple, <laughs> wipes it on his shirt. It's, it's Jason Derulo eating a whole watermelon. <laughs> yes, yes. 
It's just my oh god. I mean, it's such an um, and it's not photoshopped, is it? I, I don't think so. I don't. No, I mean, that'd be too. Aye. Aye. I mean, he's aye. a handsome, fucking well done man. That is aye. well done, Mrs. Dorillo. Aye, aye, and also to baby Jason Derulo, you narcissist. Right, next one. A uh, uh, song, a uh, best song for a road trip. Uh, oh, <laughs> ten thousand miles by Vanessa Carlton. If I could fall into the sky, do you think time would pass me by? Cause you know I'd walk a thousand miles if I could just sing you. This song became my favourite song song uh, when I was young uh, and perfect for road trips just because uh, you seen White Chicks? Yes. Aye. Like Terry Crews before he was Terry Crews who we all know and love. Like this was one of his first, it was one of the first times I remember seeing Terry Crews in anything apart from The Longest Yard. Um, And he, man he's just such a brilliant comedic actor. But this fucking scene when he's in the car, just <laughs> lip syncing to Vanessa Carlton, it was one of the funniest things I'd ever seen in my life. Like, I was just like, it's so good, just because he's just such a big, ripped fucking man, juxtaposed to this really, like, nice and sweet Thousand Miles song. Yeah. Um, and, then it, and, then, and then the song just sticks in your head, man. It's a great wee song. The, the wee piano riffs, I, I love it. I think it's a great, it's a, a lovely, lovely song. Um, next one walk on music best walk on music so this is I mean even though the Tommy Prophet Only One King is my favourite song that I've ever walked out to the song that I would always always walk on to and it's in my head apart from Rick Petit as my walk on is Kids by MGMT favorite song uh when i was oh i mean it was my favorite song for about 10 years like that was back when fucking like kaza and limewire were a thing yeah like this is the song that ruined my computer just because i kept trying to you know download it and then you'd end up downloading horse porn or whatever <laughs> it fucking was yeah yeah um, i had a similar thing uh, one day i tried to download horse porn and I got a fucking MGMT album. I was like, for God's sake. Devastated. Absolutely <laughs> devastated. But you know what? I did go see them tour afterwards and they ended up fucking a horse on stage. So it's nice. <laughs> <laughs> and then it and then it was just my walk on for for years and years and years. Because um, it's got like a good like a everyone knows it. Like it's it's straight in under like ten beats you can name the song. Yeah, there's a really weird fact about this song that um, the band MGMT ended up going into court in a legal battle with the French president Nicolas Sarkozy. Oh really? Because he when he was campaigning and running for election, his party used this song uh, in their campaigns, and MGMT went. Well, yeah, we don't mind using it, but pay us. And then he was so disgusted at this fact that he offered them one euro in like this kind of typically French derisory 
stick your nose up at this and then they were like all right then and then they took him to court and they ended up i think they ended up getting like 30 grand off him excellent because he used it he used it like five times and then was never allowed to use it again <laughs> that's absolutely brilliant going to war with the french president but by that but if that if that story was true for the rest of the world, Trump would be fucking bankrupt because just if there was no songs he was ever allowed to play exactly at his fucking thing because everyone was like, we hate you since yeah. you're just an inherently evil cunt. Stop playing our music. But when has Trump ever cared about anyone's boundaries or consent? There was loads of people. <laughs> there was loads of people were furious because like he's used Springsteen before. Because oh, yeah. um, ton, tons of presidents have used Born in the USA Because, because they, they don't know what the song Born yeah, in the USA is actually about Yeah, they think it's this bombastic How great is America when it's about fucking Vietnam And yeah. um, so he's used that Green Day were furious at him I think Tom Petty was furious at him as well um, And then, see towards the end of the Trump presidency Remember he used to play YMCA a lot And then <laughs> do that weird dance to it as well I, I yeah, that I don't know how that came about. I th- I think I think it was just like he just a, a lot of people were j- I, people are happy to sue Trump like mm. yeah of course of course you are so I think he's just got this thing of like everything fucking bounces off me and you go no 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 they don't they just take a while to stick to you because the court systems in America are fucked but I think that was just at the point where uh, everyone was like look we we are pretty sure that all of the people who are from YMCA are now dead. So you can have, <laughs> you can have, we can have them. Like the 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 Indian, he's definitely gone. Uh, the fireman died in nine eleven, he's dead. Uh, the police officer is is on trial for uh, killing an unarmed black man. Uh, so it's actually the YMC is probably the safest song that you can play since all of the singers are are, are they're occupied. We're just not going to get sued here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the only one that's still around is a leather biker, but he's part of your cabinet, so... Uh, <laughs> yeah, and, he, and you know what, and he's given his full consent, he's happy for you to do the song. <laughs> uh, right, next one, I'm very excited to talk about this. Uh, the best song from a film. Oh, oh, here we go. How far I'll go from Moana. Moana is, uh, man, it's 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 top tier Pixar and Disney. Like it's, yeah. it's it's unbelievable. I love Moana. It's 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 not even a guilty pleasure of mine. It's a pleasure. I watch it openly. I watch it fucking freely. I love The Rock as most men do. Uh-huh. Uh, I know this comparison has made been made a thousand times before, but he just he is the male Beyonce. He's just this big you know, uh, air quotes, politically neutral uh, force of nature who every man wants to be. And he, you know, he used to kick Stone Cold Steve Austin's head in and now he's in every action movie and I'll watch any movie with him in it. And then he went to fucking Pixar and I was like, man, there's no way this is going to be good. It'll just be weird. And it turned out to be a superb movie. And the songs in it across the board are bangers. Yeah, every single song is an absolute cracker in Moana. 
and uh, just my favourite one is is the it's it's not even your welcome, which I do think is is brilliant, but just the main song, how far I'll go. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, just, it's 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 almost power ballad esque. Yeah, absolutely. Like, it's and I, uh, I mean I can't sing it. I mean I do, I do it <laughs> in the in the privacy of my shower. Well, the water's running down my body, and I pretend to be Moana myself. Like I'll, I'll let it run and trickle down off my arms, and I'll shoot it, and, and that's when I'm like, "It's me. I'm her, and I can sing the song." <laughs> I remember I was um, it was a couple of years ago uh, after the war. After I'd watched it with the kids, it was a couple of years ago. We were out. Me and my friends from uni were out one night, and we were back at someone's flat, and we were just going around putting on songs and we're going well, what do you want what do you want and it came to me and I was like could you stick on Shiny from the Moana soundtrack yes. like, what a fucking song. It's, like, it's like the greatest song David Bowie never did it's like it's so good aye that, and that was um, what's his thing from Concord Jermaine Clement yeah Jermaine Clement that's him yeah aye it's so good I love Moana it's it's, a, it's it's one of the best. I mean, I'm sorry to go off topic uh, here slightly, but what is your uh, what's your top five Pixar then? Top five Pixar. So Moana up there um, yeah. is. Uh, oh, I'm saying Disney and Pixar here. All oh, right, Disney and Pixar. Yeah. Uh, Tangled is in there. Oh, absolutely, hundred percent. Tangled's so underrated. That's a great film. You have to put Toy Story. I'll put Toy Story two in. Yeah. Um, yeah. I really like now. Is the B movie? <laughs> is that, no, is that no tr- that, that, that's DreamWorks. That's, I thought that was DreamWorks. I don't yeah, have that. Je- Jerry Seinfeld's B movie. <laughs> yeah, I do. I, I quite like it. It's really funny. I don't think I've. I don't think I've actually seen it all the way through. But I know it went through like a fucking renaissance seven years ago because it just got fucking memed to shit. Yeah, there are um, a, there are about in the first three minutes of it alone. I think I counted about fifty bee or honey puns and i was right. like this is awesome like they are like very much like the way seinfeld does his comedy himself he rinses every single possible angle and joke out of yeah. being a bee aye and then it's just and that's it covered and now nobody else can do a bee movie exactly. because jerry <laughs> seinfeld did a bee movie sorry bugs life uh, <laughs> oh no bugs life was against ants yeah, yeah, and it, and it definitely won. It yeah. definitely won that. There was just I don't know what I don't know what the director of ads was thinking when he was just like try and make them sexy and chiselled. Yeah, like yeah. give give this ad a six pack. I want to confuse Aye. some fucking yeah. and young, also, young woman. Do you know what this ants movie needs? Woody Allen. <laughs> Can we get Woody Allen in to play a Aye. part because I don't think. <laughs> I think everyone's got over the Woody Allen thing that he can now appear in a child's movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Bugs Life was excellent. It doesn't make the top five, but Bugs Life was... I remember the thing I loved about that most is they had outtakes oh, at yeah. the end of the movie. And I just... I, and obviously outtakes that they had to animate and do themselves. But I remember that blowing my mind as a kid. Being like... <laughs> They're pretending that the bugs fucked up their lines. This is genius. <laughs> How on earth did they do this? <laughs> right, next one. Song that makes you happy. Send Me On My Way by Rusted Root. Send Me On My Way. Send Me On My Way. Send Me On My Way. Send Me 
it's just a genuine there's no backstory to it it doesn't relate to any part of my life it's just such a happy and impossible not to dance along to song like i started listening to it a lot again recently because when i was in lockdown in australia when i was doing the quarantine there like i live like a slob because uh, in hotel rooms because um because every, at, at the end of your hotel stay everything goes back into your bag and nobody knows how you lived for that week or so so you can just be as messy as you want but when i was in quarantine i was like do try keep it clean on a day-to-day -day basis just for your own mental health and sanity so at like 10 after i'd had my breakfast and after i'd done my morning meditation of my workout i'd have half an hour of cleaning with all the with all the blinds closed because i didn't want anyone to see me but i'd have my headphones on and i would just dance in my underwear while cleaning up the, the hotel room and this was just on fucking repeat man if you want to clean a room stick this song on and it'll take you about five minutes longer because you'll dance the entire time but you'll not stop cleaning at any point um I, it's a cool song i really like it there's a lot of, it's a very african-y kind of song it's like i there's a lot of there's a lot of bits that just don't make any sense. Just words they've just made up. Yep, and uh, they just stick them in there. But that's that's, that's the key being happy, man. Being yeah, happy totally. Yeah, to make sense. No, yeah, no, I, I, no, I really, really, I really do like it. It's a really good song. Um, but conversely, like that a song that makes you sad. <laughs> uh, no, this one, uh, this one, song that makes you cry. I don't think a song has ever made me cry, but uh, the closest one the one that does make me sad is how to save a life by the fray i don't know if anyone else out there watches scrubs but oh. There is one uh, particular, but I loved Scrubs growing up. It was I fucking I I I've watched it several times. There's one scene in it where uh, Doctor Cox is like desperate to save this guy's uh, life. He's been on like the liver transplant for years, and then this woman dies, and she's got all these all of her organs, and she's an organ donor. So he like gives he uses all of her organs on like the four emergency patients in the hospital including his mate who's got liver failure and then it turns out that the woman had fucking rabies or something and every person that got her organ dies including this uh, dr cox's friend and it's just this scene with this really strong doctor for like seven seasons who's been like the the rock just loses it and he completely fucking breaks down uh and it's this song that's playing while each of the four uh patients go into cardiac arrest and then when dr cox essentially just quits and uh yeah I, every time i hear that song it just takes me back to that fucking scene this might put you off this song um the three as a band are all very very strict devout christians Oh man, right. So I'm glad this like uh, this was going to come up at some point during this podcast, anyway. But man, I have a real fucking affinity for getting into songs and then finding out that it's Christian rock. <laughs> like, like I'm I don't know why this is part of who I am, but like, uh, 
what a song that's going to come up fucking later on it's for uh, it's for my guilty pleasure right mm-hmm. is um is a song called and a a song called My Sacrifice by Creed, right? Mm-hmm. And I loved the band Creed growing up because during, I used to love WWF back when it was WWF. I liked Rock, fucking Triple H, Big Show, Kane and Undertaker, back when Undertaker was the American badass as well during the fucking um, Attitude Era. And there was, like, you know how they did those don't try this at home messages because like yeah. people in Texas kept putting their younger sister through a table <laughs> <laughs> and like and, and Vince McMahon had to be like for the love of God stop fucking doing this <laughs> to your siblings and your children one of the bands they had on is that like the background music of it was Mike Sacrifice by Creed and I was like man this is a banger this is great I bought like three of their albums and just listened to it all the time and because I don't really listen to the lyrics of songs like it's just I'll I'll know the words enough to repeat them. Yeah. Um, somebody pointed out to me when I was like 21, I was listening to Creed, and I'm a and I'm a big atheist man. Like I'm not just uh, I'm not just I don't believe in God. I'm a I fucking hate people who believe in God. Yeah. Atheist. Like <laughs> if you believe in God, you are less than intelligent to me like there's one you've you've shut off one doesn't matter doesn't matter what fucking degree you've got doesn't matter what you've done in your life if you believe in any form of god one part of your brain is switched off and i am inherently more intelligent than you it's not a great way to be i'm not necessarily proud of this opinion but it sits in with my core i fucking despise religious people i'll be nice to them to their faces as a front because i have to be but understand if you're religious i fucking hate you um (laughs) So, somebody then points out they're like, "This is Christian rock," and I'm like, "No, it's not." And then you listen to the lyrics, and like the song's called "My Sacrifice." Yeah. Like when you are with me, I'm free. So, like, I'm. I mean, I did not know Frey were hardcore Christian rock, but the fact that it's called "How to Save a Life" suggests, yeah, that, yeah, obviously, yeah, it's a. Uh... Because, I mean, all the way through, you have always railed against religion, particularly in your stand-up. And was there ever any kind of trepidation about going that kind of way? Particularly the fact that you'll do gigs in middle America where if 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 you're an anti-religious and taking the piss out of faith, yeah. in most places, then the audience will go along with you. But I imagine in middle America, that could cause quite the backlash. Yeah, I mean, I've definitely, I don't take as hard a stance there. I'll still do the jokes, mm-hmm. uh, but in those ones, I'll make sure that I'm definitely, like, you know, playing a bit more of, like, this is a joke and this is just my uh-huh. opinion sort of thing. And also I'm making... And that's when I'll throw in the the little extra bits of like, and if this joke upsets you, don't worry, I'm going to hell, or uh-huh. you know, God will get his fucking revenge on me. And that's enough to placate most of them. But that's yeah, yeah. those are very much the just the they're not the real punchlines. They're the please don't shoot me punchlines. <laughs> 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 like, they're just those little extra ones. You're like, hey, I was just being a cheeky chappy. But, uh, you know, I would As... happily... I, I'd go to the most religious part of England and do those jokes because religious people in England are fucking spineless. Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> They'll do fuck all. Yeah, you might you might be subject to some very hard tutting, but it's yeah, not going to be... I... Uh... 
Oh, I'll tell you what, I'm going to be in some very angry prayers that evening. <laughs> Just a fucking wee stupid Tory down the end of his bed. And if you could possibly bring less bread to that horrible, horrible Scottish man and his family, Mr Lord, then that would be wonderful. <laughs> Has it ever crossed your mind that somebody might take a shot at you in America? Yeah, well, I mean, there was there was the guy in Indianapolis who, uh, like, showed me his gun, like, when I was doing that joke. Like, he was in the <laughs> front row and, like, literally was like, do you think that's fun? And now, and now I know what I will say, because I, I, I've done this joke on stage where I talk about having a gun, like, pulled on me. The guy didn't pull the gun on me and aim it at me. And I don't even think it was a legitimate threat. I don't think he was threatening to shoot me. I think he was just having a little bit of gun banter. <laughs> but because I live in Scotland, we don't have gun banter. Yeah. <laughs> like, we don't have guns. So he was just doing it in, like, a way that I think Americans are just like, hey, look at me, I'm armed, and I'll shoot you. Ha ha. But he just lifts mm. up his shirt, shows me his gun, and was like, you know, don't say that again. And I fucking freak out of, like, oh, like, I'd never seen a gun like a real gun in my life, let alone just on a member of the public and yeah. not like a member in the army, the police. I mean, and that's... then there was, a, there was another police officer in the crowd who was just there off duty and he was the one that lifted up his shirt and was just like, mate, if he shoots you, I'll shoot him. <laughs> and, and, and everyone laughed and giggled together and I'm like, this country's fucked, man. Yeah, yeah. And then someone up the back just <laughs> opened up and they've just got a chest full of grenades yeah. and going, right, listen, um, that is insane. That a yeah. guy could get into a show. Where was his gun, by the way? Did he have it in his belt loop, or did he have one of those Dirty uh, Harry style so, holsters? So the 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 police officer had his uh, holster just at his side, but the uh, the guy who showed it originally was literally just like down. It looked as if it was just in the front of his pants. Now it might have been like a holster there, mm-hmm. but like uh, man, I, I didn't see. I just saw like he like I, I remember this. He had good uh, trigger discipline. Yeah, I like, was, yeah. Like when he pulled it up, like at no point was his hand on the trigger. His finger was out pointing, so it kind of looked like he was pointing at the gun. But it yeah. was just, yeah. Because I mean, it. you can't. That, that's no way I'd ever. Like, cause you, you'd quickly you, if it if it was pointing at your balls, then right. you would constantly go about all day worried that you'd left the safety off. Or, yeah. Unless you were Jason Derulo. In, in, in which, which case, case you could yeah. have had a, an M16 pointed down there, and it would just ricochet off like the way it does with Superman. No, no, no. He, like that's 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 not his gun. That's his dick's gun. That's, <laughs> that's the gun his dick uses to protect his own life because he's so under threat. Because his dick has been hunted by big game hunters. They're like, we've got to, we've got to get Jason to those cops. Like this thing belongs in first of all my ass, but then. Museums. <laughs> uh, okay, uh, next song. Uh, a song that reminds you of a friend or a family member. Oh, so uh, I'm going to go Angels, Robbie Williams. And through it, oh, she offers me protection. So after my uh, my, my sister uh, Josie died when I was eight, that's what my special dark is about. This was my mum and dad had two very different ways of grieving, 
uh, my dad's way of grieving was to like have like a week of sadness and then just and then that was it. Like he'd grieved and he and he and he dealt with his emotions and he put put them away and like. Uh, yeah, like if you ask my dad what day my sister died, he couldn't tell you. Like, doesn't mm. remember, doesn't want to remember. Whereas my mum is, which I think is the slightly healthier one, is she'll just, she would just watch videos of Josie constantly and just cry and cry and cry and cry and cry. And I was like, why are you making yourself feel that way? And she'd be like, no, this is good. Like, I like the fact that I'm this sad. Like, the fact that I'm this sad means that I still, you know, love mm -hmm. her and and that those emotions are still there and that i'm still her mum and and uh the josie's song was uh my mum's favorite song and, and well josie's favorite song at the time was uh, angels by robin williams so after she died it was played at her funeral and my mum whenever it came out i always remember just whenever we were in the uh whenever we were in the car it would come on the radio my mum would just start crying but again not in a sad way just mm -hmm. in a in a happy, like, this is nice, this reminds me of my daughter way. And last year, uh, last year I was, I, was, I was driving in the car, to, and again, like, I'm not religious, I do not believe in heaven, I do not believe in hell, I do not believe in souls, I don't believe in fucking karma, I'm a fucking, like, n n none of that bullshit is, is, is real. We're all statistical anomalies floating on a rock through space, everything is random, there's no such thing as fate. I'm in the car on the way to the shots with Cara and Ro Angels by Robbie Williams comes on the radio and I t tell Cara this exact story. I go, oh, this is Josie's song. Mm -hmm. And she goes, what? And I go, oh, uh, sorry, that's so weird. But like growing up, I was always taught that this is Josie's song and uh, it, whenever it would come on the radio from my mum about my sister and blah, 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 blah. And she goes, oh, that's really nice. And we listen to it and we sing along. And I get home and my mum messages me and she goes, it's been 20 years since Josie died to the day. Wow. Aye. Now again, I don't, like that. that is just a coincidence to me, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. fucking hell, what a coincidence. Oh God, yeah. Yeah. Wow, that is, that is incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I've just fucking said, been like, I said it to Cara, I'm like, that is fucking, so man, if there is a God, he's going to be fucking raging when I get up there. Because mm. he's like, Did, how many more signs do you need? Exactly. Like, exactly. come on, man. But also, if there is a god, um, you then go, how much time are you spending DJing here, god? Because <laughs> I imagine there's a lot of songs to a lot of people, so you must be running about. Like, you must be spinning. You must be like Fat Boy Slim Aye. up there, just yeah, spinning yeah, yeah. everything. He is. Well, man, he's certainly DJing, because he's certainly not saving the lives of disabled children. Like, that's what he's doing. <laughs> that's, that is why he's such a shit god, because all he's doing is DJing. He's ignoring his kids. Like, he's not doing what he needs to do. And he's like, you know what? One day, I'm going to be the fucking biggest thing on this planet. Yeah. Give up the dream, God. You're a thousand years old. It's never going to happen. You fucking bum dad. God, you've got all of these children and you insist on trying to be a DJ. It's not going to work out. Because <laughs> uh, obviously you've done you've done material about your sister. Like yes. like you say, your, your, your entire show, Dark, was focused on kind of finding the comedy in that. And yeah. it it became it became at the time like your kind of signature, not bets, but your the, the the very signature thing about you is that you will tackle these kind of things. Yeah, is it difficult because it's happened since as well with it with the the show afterwards, um, was obviously about the sexual assault of yeah. one of your friends, and 
particularly with the Me Too movement, your clip was shared mm-hmm. a lot. I mean, an yeah. unbelievable amount on social media. Is it difficult having a clip like that that is such that is so associated, having a comedy bit that is shared, and it's almost transcended comedy now? It's it's, it's a social commentary. Is it difficult yes. having that shared about? Yes, yes, and I absolutely uh, hate when it is. Like, X, uh, the show, like, I'd written it in such a specific way and I performed it in such a specific way every single night, which was the whole point of X was that, look, yelling at men does not work. And I wish it did, and it should work. If, if the world was fair, yelling at men would work and it would make them change. But it doesn't, so we have to live in the reality of how to make men listen, and that's that's to trick them into listening and that's to not make not not to to put them on the defensive because i know as a man whenever you make me defensive i won't listen to a word coming out of your mouth because i'm just in defensive mode so the entire point of the show is look it's not a not all men show because i don't because i fucking hate that attitude but it's about trying to get the men to feel that i'm not attacking them that i'm on their side they're with me so the first 60 minutes of it, I'm being a toxic man and I'm talking about toxic masculinity and all the stupid things that we do and, then, and, and saying horrible things that'll get the men on side. And then that's at the end when I start talking about it and I do the reveal and I talk about how, you know, even though I wasn't directly involved in it, but that my attitudes were complicit and that, you know, I understand that I could have done better and there were these warning signs that, you know, I chose to ignore. It's holding myself accountable and then trying to sort of say to men, look, I am like you. I thought I was just normal and that I had all these friends that are just good. But the sad truth of the matter is the world's more dangerous than we think. And just because it's not dangerous for us and we don't feel under threat doesn't mean that that's the same. Like, we've got to listen here. And the whole point was for it to not be beating men over the head because if you beat men over the head they will not listen Mm. and again i know they should but if you want the way to beat sexual assault and rape is with both men and women right it's a it's it's gonna be it's a two uh it's a it's a it's a two-team thing like we need to be in it together and it's also a thing that we all agree on you know Mm -hmm. it's not a left or a right issue it's something that we can all agree on rape is horrible and bad and nobody should have to go through it and this was a, a real, and, and that's why the show was 90 minutes long like uh, like and that's how it worked and then there's this three minute clip this three minute stolen clip uh that is taken out of context that is yes and i know it says really nice things in it uh, and it's and it's 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 clippable but it's being used to hit men over the head and it and it and it's and it also put, it looks like it puts me on a fucking high horse it looks like i'm this flawless white knight man telling other men to be better and that's not the point the point of the show was i have failed i have been a fucking failure in this and this is partially my fucking fault and i've not done good enough so now i admit to myself in front of you that i need to be better and that i'm going going to be and all of that's not there none of that's there it's just fucking three minutes of me yelling at men and that man when it went viral after the the Sarah Everard thing, um, which was such a horrible, tragic story. Mm-hmm. But it just became, man, Newsnight got in contact with me, BBC, Fox, Sky, all these 
news articles and TV shows were like, can you come on because obviously like you're the spokesperson of this? And I'm like, I'm not the spokesperson yeah. of this at all. And also, if you want my opinion on this, X the entire show. I've said everything I want to, to say about it. And then you're in this difficult position because it's empowering for women and other survivors. And I don't want to take that clip away from them. But yeah. I'm also just like, but you're using it wrong. And that's like you're literally using it, like against the message I was trying to. Do. It made me mad. It made me. It's the reason I came off of Twitter. Like I'll, I, I said to our agent Marlena, like two days after that, I was like, "There's my Twitter passwords. I'm never logging on again. Like I can't, I can't see that clip go viral again. It'll just, it's just not good for me." Yeah, it's <clears throat> it's a problem with uh, social media and uh, easily easily disposable media that we have now, and the fact that clips are constantly taken out of context yeah. and it can be it can be used as a way of beating people down where they will take a small minute of a 20 minute monologue and say well this is what this person really thinks yeah uh, or it can be used in that kind of way where the entire kind of point has been missed by using and it's such a like it's so not that it's such a small-minded British TV thing for even even a, even an institution like Newsnight to right. say this incredibly tragic case has happened to a woman. Who are we going to get on to speak about it? A guy. Yeah. Like that's a lot. We are the last people that they should have been contacting. Aye. To but do think, that. Yeah, I, I, yeah. 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 Man, it's and it's that they want to. Oh yes, but you're a man speaking out against it. So can you not come and do that? And you go, I did. Exactly. I did, I, did, I did a 300 fucking date tour around the world. Yeah. Like literally doing what you've said. I'm not coming on to your fucking little news quiz. So so again, so you can ask me questions and then clip my fucking answers. Exactly, that's like, all I'm it not is, gonna, yeah. you're, you're not having me on to have a discussion. You enjoy one soundbite I did mm -hmm. and all you're trying to do is you're trying to get another fucking soundbite of me and I'm not going to let that happen because I saw what you did with the last one. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. Right, some more quick fire ones, and I'm so pleased you picked this next song. The song you do at karaoke. Uh, right, so <laughs> absolutely, right, absolutely none. There is no amount of money in the world you could offer me to do karaoke. I will never do karaoke. I fucking hate it. I fucking hate it. I hate it. I hate it. There is nothing in karaoke for me. I am a stand-up comedian. I am a successful stand-up comedian. The reason people enjoy karaoke is because they work in fucking boring office jobs and they've <laughs> never gotten up in front of an audience in their fucking life. And that's like a rush to them, right? So they get to go up, they get to do something that they think they're good at, but they're not, in front of a small audience. And they get like the, 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 a small, tiny one percentile feeling of what it's like to be on stage. I already do a job where I get up in front of large audiences to do something I am very good at. Like I'm really good at stand-up. I'll tell you what I'm not good at, singing. I am fucking <laughs> tone deaf. Like I was fired from panto because I can't fucking sing. Like that's how bad that I do not sing under any point. So why would I want to get up and why would I want to get up on stage for free, for free, Mark? Well, to get up on stage yes. for free, to perform to a smaller audience at something I am infinitely fucking worse at. There is nothing in it for me. Nothing. I hate it. But <laughs> if I had to, 
uh, All Star by Smash Mouth. Hey now, you're an all star. Get your game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star. Get the show on, get paid. Just because I ev- like every single white man in the world, I know every word to that song. Best song you've seen live? Seasons by Future Islands. I saw, I've seen them twice. I saw them at a festival on like my 24th or 25th birthday. And uh, they were amazing. I mean, I, I don't know if, like, if, if you watch uh, Seasons by Future Islands on the David Letterman show, you'd mm-hmm. know how fucking good they are at live mm-hmm. performance. Like, it's, it's, he's one of my favorite people to watch because, man, he just puts every ounce of himself into every song. Mm-hmm. Like he fucking and it's dad dancing, but like it's not, and because it's so, if it wasn't a hundred percent sincere, the way he performed, it would be the cheesiest thing in the world. Like if he was putting it on and he danced like that, like just to get attention, you'd be like, oh, this is. But that is just how he fucking expresses himself. Yeah, like that fucking lowdown. He does that fucking Russian like uh, the 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 squat kicks yeah. Cossack uh, dancing that's the fucking yeah. one man I saw him Cossack dance for an entire so have you ever tried Cossack dancing yeah it's impossible it, yeah. <laughs> it hurts like fuck and man he's just doing it for an entire song putting his heart and soul into it he's great right next we've, we've pretty much discussed this song already but it was your guilty pleasure which was yeah. My Sacrifice by Creed Now, I like this song as well, and I like it for the same reason you like it, is that I remember it vividly being used as a video for WWF and yeah. the Attitude Era, and it perfectly fit it, and it, it was the best era of By wrestling. By a mile. But, I mean, just, just the most fun thing that I have ever watched in my life was wrestling at that time. Oh, man, like the... the... It was, because like, the TLC matches were Edge and Christian, the Dudley Boys, and the Hardy Boys. Yeah. You had the fucking Rock. That was when Stone Cold went heel for a bit. Yeah. And he fucking betrayed the Rock, and him and fucking Triple H and Vince McMahon uh, were going up against each other. There was the Hell in the Cells with fucking Undertaker Kane, Mick Foley. Mm. Like, that was when Big Show and Shane McMahon climbed up the side of the entrance to jump like a hundred feet off the side or yeah. Shane McMahon climbed it to jump on a big show oh what there's a, a there's an insane because I watch YouTube videos every now and again of uh, older wrestling it's like the top 10 countdown of the top 10 greatest comebacks the top mm. 10 most surprising Royal Rumble entries and there's one it, it, it's like it, it's like the top 10 most insane things that happened during the Attitude Era and some of them are just there's one where uh, the Undertaker was fighting the big boss man in a hell in the cell. Mm. 
Yeah. And this was when Bossman had gone from wearing like the kind of traffic cop uh, outfit, where he was like a he was like a, a member of a SWAT team. Like it was all black, and he had body armor on. And the 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 fight ends with the Undertaker hanging him in the cell. Like he fucking gets this <laughs> rope out and hangs the guy in front of like sixty thousand people. Just hangs the guy, and you're I going. But, <laughs> Mike, Mike, this is America. Like, that's, yeah, that's true, yeah. Yeah, public lynching is part of their... And I, I'm not even going to say history. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the 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 song My Sacrifice uh, by Creed, because I didn't know they were uh, a really Christian rock band either. It's basically about the guy, I, I can't remember his name, the lead singer has gone through substance abuse and alcoholism and all uh-huh. that kind of stuff, and it's about that kind of thing. Um. Being now that you have grown up in show business and that you started so long, have you ever worried about properly going off the rails? Yeah, yeah, man. Um, I still worry about it because um, like there's there was times on the X tour where um, like just because the the length of that tour, like how often we were away, like it was three hundred shows in. 18 months and and because of the, I had to do the show the same way every day because of the tone and because of the subject matter um, I was losing my mind uh, just with the travel and I wasn't being healthy I was drinking every day I was smoking weed every day like it got to the point on the tour where I, literally at one point to Marlena I just turned around to her and I was like just so you know it's now your job to get me weed in every city like <laughs> Like that's just I'm 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 just so sad uh, and so done with this that the only way I'll be able to do the only way I'll be able to exist on a day to day basis is if I'm stoned every second of every day. Mm-hmm. That's the only thing that's going to get me through this. And I'm gonna I'm gonna drink from one pm onwards, and I'm gonna drink on all the flights because I could, I could do the show with my eyes closed at that point. Like mm-hmm. I could I could do the show blind drunk and and fucking hungover. Uh, when we got out to, uh, we went to Japan first. We had like a nice two days in Japan, and then we flew to Hong Kong. And I don't know what happened, but I just snapped. Oh no, it was, it was Japan to Singapore. Singapore was fine. I snapped just before the Singapore show, did it, and then on the flight to fucking Hong Kong, like Kai says, I came off the plane. I was just catatonic, like just there was nothing behind my eyes. It was just like completely. And we were about to have like a day off in Hong Kong before the show. Uh, the next day, uh, I get to the hotel. Kai turns up like like literally just ten minutes of me being in the hotel room with a bottle of whiskey, and it's just like right, we need to just fucking get you through this. Mm-hmm. Cut to, uh, and this is like my m- most rock and roll story in the world. Uh, cut to a day later. Um, I don't have any memories. Uh, I know I've not left the hotel room because there's three empty bottles of whiskey in it. Um, I am fucking butt naked. Kai answers, uh, there's a knock at the door. I open it up and it's Kai there with a burger and a milkshake. And he's like, <laughs> he's like, you're on stage in an hour. Jesus Christ. Like, and I was like, okay. Uh, and he's like, well, you're on stage in an hour. And after that, we're like flying straight to Australia. It's a, it's a late night flight. Um, and like I, I like and I, I phoned Cara and she was like, "Yeah, you called me like six hours ago and you were just whiskey drunk and 
uh, just losing your your mind. I went to do the show, still fucking smashed it. Got a, a eighteen hundred pound bill from the mini bar, uh, and apparently, like, I'd gone through to like because Marlena was out there, so I'd gone through in the morning and just had like this fucking very <laughs> alcoholic meeting with her, where I was just like. Just bad, just upset. I was like, I hate this. I hate every fucking part of this tour. I don't want to fucking do this anymore. Um, and I was like, this is, this is the most, and I, it made me hate hate myself more because I was like, now you're a fucking stereotype. Mm-hmm. Now you're a fucking young kid who got everything he fucking wanted. You're literally on this international tour with people coming out to see you every day, and you're miserable. You fucking cliche. You fucking loser, and that just made me beat myself up more. And uh, um, I, and then that's why I mean, the second I came back from that tour, I signed myself up to therapy immediately. Yeah, and was like, let's let let's nip this all in the bud as soon as possible. Yeah, but I mean, even now, like I am a I am a I am a drug addict. Um, but thankfully, that drug is weed. Mm-hmm. Like, even though I've like I've done I've done coke and I've done pills. Uh, none of that stuff is as I'm not addicted to it. Like I've not done them in ages, and it's fine. But marijuana, man, I don't think I'll ever be able to to give that up. And I do fucking worry that that'll be like, I, I, it's not gonna be my downfall. It's not gonna be like an overdose. But like, like, because if you overdose on coke, you just die, and then there's articles about you. But mm. if you overdose on weed, you just become very, very lazy, and everyone forgets you. <laughs> <laughs> like. I fucking wish I could be like Snoop Dogg is a stoner, but is somehow in every movie, is on every fucking game show, yeah. Like fucking keeps putting out fucking bangers, and I'm like Snoop, how do you get that level of work ethic? Yeah, with exactly. Marijuana? Yeah, that's true. Actually, yeah. Man, it blows my mind. Like, because like I'll do, I'll have, I'll, I'll wake up in the morning and I'll fucking wake and bake, and then I'll have a coffee, and I'm like, good, that coffee will see me through, and it is the coffee that makes me do work. But if I don't have that coffee, I don't work for the rest of the fucking day. Your uh, next song is a song that reminds you of a moment or a place. Uh, well, everything in here is going back to drugs, but uh, insomnia, faithless. Can't get no sleep. Insomnia was playing at Bestival one time that I did uh, Pills. And, oh, no, 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 I'm full of shit. It was the first time I'd done MDMA, and it was at that fucking rock nest that you were at as well. Yeah. Right? And um, I don't think I don't think Faith were there. I just think there was, like, after I'd done MDMA for the first time, at two in the morning, we went up to one of the fucking rave stages, and that song was playing. And... From my first MDMA experience, I was like, oh my God, like, this is it. Mm. Like, this is what life is about. But then I didn't listen to the song for, like, another three months until I was getting on a flight to Belfast, I think it was. And it was just in my headphones. And, man, I started coming up again. Yeah. Like, just because, like, the last time I'd heard it was when I'd been coming up at Rock Nest, and it just... I don't know, like, again, another Pavlovian response or, or maybe, like, just one small little nugget of MDMA in the back of my head was like, oh, hold on, this is this is my cue. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I, 
remember just sitting down on the flight and I was just like properly like bobbing and dancing my head, being like, this song's better. Why do I like this song so much? Yeah. Oh, oh, I know. I love the idea of there's this that the MDMA memory sitting at the back of your head and while like paranoia and sadness and acceptance and all that have been doing this this song came on and the sertraline uh, no so the, the serotonin at the back just went step aside boys i'm on for the next five minutes so. <laughs> here we go i've got this covered put on your dancing boots this is my jam <laughs> Because it is, it is, it is a, it's essentially a song about clubbing. But there's a great thing about it is the fact that um, Maxi Jazz, who's the lead singer in Faithless, um, he says, it goes, the, the crowd go tits whenever you play at a festival or at a gig because it's a song about being unable to sleep and what you're doing is you're, you're doing it to a crowd of people who have essentially all just paid about 50 quid for hard drugs and aren't planning on getting much sleep yep. for the next three days. So they just go, that's it. However, the actual reason they wrote the song was because he had a dental abscess and it kept him awake. <laughs> <laughs> Genuinely true. But so that's, that's so funny. <laughs> They say, I've got a sore tooth. And people yeah. are like, this is about empty. Yeah. This guy is tapping into exactly the kind of the, the place I'm in. Nope, oh. just, just a toothache. But that's so fucking funny because at that festival, I'd obviously not, apart from them to me, I'd taken a bunch of fucking uh, coke as well. So on the Tuesday I get back, uh, I go to my dentist and... Um, She's like, and for, for years and years, my dentist have been trying to make me get fillings because apparently I needed fillings. But I was like, do you put me under for fillings? And she was like, no, it's j like just local anesthetic. And I was like, well, then I'm not doing it. Like either knock me out or you're not going to do it. She's mm -hmm. like, your teeth will get worse. And I'm like, yeah, but my teeth will get so bad that you have to knock me unconscious to do the surgery. Like I'm a coward when it comes to pain. Mm -hmm. Like I'm not doing it. Uh, I get her on the Tuesday because she's known me for ages. She's just like, mate, uh, today's the day. You're getting your fucking fillings. T like, you're a grown man. I'm not letting you not do this. And I was like, all right, fine. What's the anesthetic? And she goes, it's Novocaine. Right, we'll inject it into your gums. She does the first injection. She's like, uh, how do you feel? I'm like, fine. She's like, really? I was like, I can feel everything in my face. Quick question. Is Novocaine by any chance related to cocaine? <laughs> And she was like, yeah, yeah, they come from like the same family or whatever. I was like, right, I've taken heaps of that over the weekend. So I think my tolerance might be a little bit higher. <laughs> so, and you're not doing anything to my teeth until I'm numb in the face. And she was like, I can't give you more. And I'm like, you're gonna have to. She's like, okay, I'll give you another injection, but like, it's on you. She puts in another injection into my teeth. We wait two minutes. She was like, how are you feeling? And I'm like, fine. I can feel everything in my face. And she's like, you're kidding. I'm like, no, like I've just come back from a music festival. She's like, legally, I can't give you more than like two. And I'm like, well, then I'm not, I'm not having this done. So she's like, oh, fine. She asks her assistant to leave the room. She's like, I'm going to give you half more. Christ. I'm going to give you half more, right? And then we have to do it after that. And I'm like, fine. She puts it in and it turns out it doesn't up your tolerance. It just delays. The effect. Oh, good God. <laughs> so so she's like, she puts it in and I go, oh, I'm feeling that one. And then two minutes later I go, I cannot feel 
the entire right hand side of my face like it is i look like a fucking stroke victim like it's so numb she does the fillings nothing goes wrong i don't feel a thing man you could have punched me in the fucking mouth and i would have smiled at you the entire time i went out for dinner with a friend well a lunch directly afterwards and halfway through the lunch she just looked at me directly she was like are you fucking kidding me and i was like what and she goes look in a mirror and man I just had food all like from <laughs> under my eye down to the bottom of my chin. And I just couldn't feel where the fork was going on my face <laughs> or where food was landing because it was so numb. <laughs> that's amazing. Oh, And sadly, that dentist, I hope, has now been struck off because that's one of the most unethical <laughs> stories I've ever heard in my life. Uh, hey, hey, he's a great <laughs> dentist and I love him dearly. <laughs> uh, your hidden gem, a song that you would like people to know about. Ghost by Confetti. I'm a ghost. Now you see me, now you don't. I'm a ghost. Every time you hit the phone. I'm a ghost. Now you see me, now you don't. The old, I don't, I don't know anything else of other song other than I like it. Uh, back during the lockdowns I started doing Twitch uh, and or when you're streaming you've got to find like royalty free music and right. this was one of the songs that came up on just a royalty free playlist and it was just a fucking banger man it just was a proper song that I couldn't get out of my head long after and it was like I remember just singing it to myself be like oh my ghost I wonder what that song's called <laughs> and Gara was like do you think it might be called Ghost, <laughs> you daft cunt? Like, you, you've just been walking around the house all day just singing, I'm a ghost. I guess I'll never know the name of that song. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we've got two songs to go, um, and they're both crackers, actually. Your favourite song, Free Rain, just one, a song you love. <laughs> Little Lion Man by Mumford and Sons. But it was not your fault but mine And it was your heart on the line I really fucked it up this time Deny my dear Deny my dear Okay, this might be where we have a problem. <laughs> Man, it's a fucking banger! It is good. It is, it is a good song. It is a good song. It was either that or Mr. Brightside, and I'm just assuming that every white guest you have on it is going to pick <laughs> Mr. Brightside. So I thought I'd mix it up by being the whiter person and picking <laughs> a Little Lion Man by those fucking Tories. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, Mumford & Sons, because I, I do like this song, and I actually do like the first Mumford & Sons album. I, I like the fact that in this song, it's got it's got the swear word. Um, yes, that was bad. That was just that was the thing that fucking sold it to me when I was yeah. uh, eighteen. You really fucked it up. Then it was so not it's angry because it's ukulele. It's yeah. angry over a ukulele. How angry can you really be? But they they, they got because they I mean they are like you say they're they're totally, they're, they're privately educated Aye. boys that are trying to be a rock band and they. Are quite manufactured and the record company wanted them to take that word out and they were like you must be able to replace it and they tried and tried and tried and tried and they said we can't it, it is the only word that fits yeah. everything else sounds stupid and you'll because i've had this a lot with doing a uh, gigs and stuff where 
if they ever ask you to take a swear word out of a joke, it oh. completely ruins the joke. Yes, aye. They're just like, can you just, instead of saying fucked up, can you say like messed up or screwed oh, up? And you I go, know. no. Especially like when you're doing like a big swear, like cunt or something. Mm-hmm. Like, like cunt can be a huge fucking payoff as a punchline. Uh, as long as it's not the only part of the punchline. But if you've not said the word cunt much before them in the show, there is such an impact to that Oh, God, word. yeah. Like, you watch... What, Billy Conley is the master of swearing. Mm-hmm. Like, he would never... Now, I swear gratuitously, and I will admit that in both my show and in my conversation. Conley was never like that. It was His was always that perfectly placed fuck or yeah. shit or shite or bastard. And they would just give it that extra fucking crescendo of laugh. And, uh, yeah, man, when I did the Paul O'Grady show, they were like, you've got the joke here where you're talking about sex and you say uh, blood and we just think that's a little bit too graphic. Is there any chance you can change it to mess? And I'm like, mess is worse. I know. Like, mess suggests, like, fucking gooey urinal shrapnel or some <laughs> shit like 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 there's meant to be blood during like the the bit of sex i'm talking about there's not meant to be mess no oh I, yeah god i know he's a fucking piss at me and people always I, i've had not arguments but debates with people after gigs where they've gone and again i i have now at the start when you're a new comic you do swear overly to kind yeah. of back up and to to kind of cover over the fact that you're just not very good. Um, yeah. But now I've learned that well-placed swear words are good, but still you get people afterwards going, well, it was okay, but, I mean, do you really have to swear so much? Because I didn't enjoy it as much. with it. And I was like, oh. good, because I don't want you enjoying this. If, yes. if, you, if you're scared of the fact that I've used four letters, I... then... Honestly, fuck off, because I don't like that. But like, we're not gonna be friends. I'm not gonna have a drink with you afterwards. I don't really. I'm not. I'm not aiming any of this at you. There are people for you. Go to them. Yeah, go go watch go watch Milton Jones. Go watch Tim Vine. Go watch yeah. the people that don't swear. I think it's 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 such an easy fucking litmus test, which is like my I use uh, offensive language in my show because my language is the least offensive bit. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, if you fall at that first fucking hurdle, good. Like you don't, if you if you can't survive me saying cunt ninety times, you're not going to be able to handle me talking about abortion and rape. No, no, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, uh, and obviously before we move on uh, from Mumford and Sons, um, they were in the news recently because uh, Winston Winston Marshall is the guy's name. He is the, such a fucking Tory. Name. Oh god, he's a banjo player, and right. um, he. Uh, recently shared praise and encouraged people to read a book. Andy and Goes Lying. Book. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's basically a right-wing propaganda and stuff. And it, it, that's see, this is it's always the banjo player. Uh, always the banjo player in the band. Like, all, <laughs> always the ones that end up going off the rails. <laughs> really is. I'm, I'm pretty certain Goebbels used to play banjo in the he band did. he was in it. <laughs> Yeah, high school. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Be, be, before he got kicked out of the band and then joined up with Hitler as he was moping outside of his art classroom. How's it going, Adolf? Not so good. They say I'm not good at painting. How about you? Oh, you know, they don't, they don't like me playing the ukulele and the banjo. They say it's just a bit too stringy. Okay, your closing track, the one to end the playlist and to end... Basically, the end of night out. Last drinks have been ordered. 
I love this song. What have you picked? Have you ever seen The Rain by Credence Clearwater Revival? just such a tune and it's impossible not to sing along to like Mm -hmm. even if you think you don't know the words trust me you do Mm -hmm. Uh, it comes on it's yeah i think it's like if it's towards the end of a night so you do want something that you can all sing together but that's not going to get you like too pumped up like this isn't i wouldn't necessarily call it a, a a banger because it's, I don't know, I just don't think it reaches that fucking um, crescendo. But it's just the, just the way the, the music is. It's very sort of calm, and, but still upbeat and just happy and easy to join in on. Yeah, Credence are so cool. I love them as a band. They're so good. And it's like like pretty much every Credence Clearwater Revival song, it's about Vietnam. Uh, yeah. Which, uh, but um, I was reading about it and... Um, John Fogerty, who's the lead singer in uh, Credence, they wrote it at a time which kind of bizarrely matches what you were talking about earlier on. Because they wrote it at a time where they won- they were one of the biggest bands in the world and they were hugely rich and famous, but his brother was going to leave the band and every single person hated each other and every oh. single member of the band was depressed and just fucking hating touring, hating life, hating being in a band. And they wrote this song as a as a kind of reaction uh, to that, the way they are at the time. And it, it, it does resonate with what you were saying about the fact that you you had basically been given everything that you ever wanted in life. Yeah. But it wasn't making you happy. And it, I think it, it's one of the... And I'm glad you kind of said that because it, it's one of the things that annoys me the most about uh, the kind of stigma and the misrepresentation and wrong ideas about depression in general and mental health problems in general where you'll always see it, a, a celebrity will always come out like a Ben Affleck or a Robbie Williams will come out and say that they've got a rehab because they're suffering severe anxiety or depression and people they always get some wank on Twitter they'll go fucking oh, I wish I had his problems like what, what the fuck's he got to be depressed about and you go well because that's just the shit that happens it doesn't matter if you're if you're rich or not it's, it's like saying it's like, see if a, a, a really honed athlete, if like Novak Djokovic broke his arm, people go, the fuck's he breaking his arm for? Wish I was uh, as fit as him. That's not uh, how it works, you dick. Aye, uh, yeah, it's, uh, and man, the, the success compounds the feeling sometimes mm. because not only is that a voice that the public have, that's a voice that's in your own head. Mm. Like, which is other people would kill to have my problems and here I am not enjoying them. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. Yeah, that noise is pissing at me. Um, oh, man, man, that's why, man, look, we'll kill them all one day. <laughs> like, one day, one day you and I, we both, we know this, we'll just snap one day, right? What we'll do <laughs> is you and I will get into a car and we'll go, this is our perfect playlist, right? You'll get in the passenger seat of the Tesla, you'll DJ, and we'll just drive backwards down a fucking motorway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Another thing, just before we go, another thing annoys me, and it's the same kind of idea... When people go on about, you can't be, I mean, and I'm sure 
there would have been people that have said you, this to you at the time when you were on tour and you were struggling. And people have said it to me and go, what have you got to be sad about? There are much, there are people with much bigger problems Aye. than you out there. And the problem with that is, right, you can take that attitude and you can take that way of living. But conversely, you can't be happy because there will always be people happier, happier than, than you. you. Yeah. So by you saying, well, what the fuck are you... What, why are you getting miserable and depressed over lockdown? There are people out there that have lost their jobs, that have lost their businesses. There are people out there in much worse situations right. than you. I can never then go, I'm really happy today, because you could then come along and go, what have you got to be happy about? Jeff Bezos earns more in a second yeah. than you'll ever earn in your life. Yeah. What have you got to be happy about? Yeah. It, doesn't, doesn't, it you, doesn't work like that. How can you possibly be happy knowing that there are people out there who have licked Scarlett Johansson's pussy? How can you possibly <laughs> exactly. consider yeah. yourself to be, there's someone out there that has sucked Jason Derulo's <laughs> cock and you have the gall, yeah. the gall to have a smile on your face when there's a woman married to that man. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> what a perfect way to finish it off with a callback <laughs> to Jason Derulo. <laughs> Uh, Daniel, thank you so so much for doing this, man. It's been oh man, what a genuine fucking joy! Pleasure enjoyed talking to you. Uh, and uh, take care. Is there anything? Because you're you're going to be back on tour now. Um, yeah, I don't imagine there many tickets left, but if there's anything I want to plug, it's therapy just for everyone. Just I think <laughs> at, the, at the end of this, if you've not gone to therapy before. Um, considering everything we've spoken about in this podcast, mm-hmm. I'd recommend it. It's class. Yes. Or... And then also danielsloss.com and come see me. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much, man. Take care. Cheers. Th- thanks, buddy. And that is that. Episode 5 done. Thank you very much to Daniel for recording that with me. It was a class, class laugh. It is the most I've laughed in a long, long time. Thank you to Jason Derulo for being so blessed and giving us something to obsess over. Please go and uh, tell your pals if you're enjoying the podcast. Uh, if you think, if you like, if you know anyone that loves comedy, if you know anyone that loves music, if you love know anyone that particularly loves comedians talking about music, then let them know. Word of mouth is so so important. Please follow us on Twitter at Perfect Play Pod. Go on to the description wherever you get your podcasts and the playlist that has been made up on Spotify of Daniel's tracks will all be there. I will be back next week with another fabulous guest. But until then, I will leave you with the words of John Fogarty from Creedence Clearwater Revival, who said, sometimes I think life is just a rodeo. The trick is to ride and make it to the bell. See you next week. Bye-bye.